we'll look at it more um, closely in the previous verses, but I want to jump down here to pick up the story where these magi or wise men come into the picture here. And I'm going to read this to you, like I said, starting at verse 9. It says, After they had heard the king, which is the wise men, they, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense, frankincense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Could you imagine what gift would you present to the Son of God? I mean, on Thanksgiving, our family does the whole draw the name, you know, that way we only have to buy one gift for a family member and not a gift for every family member. Could you imagine reaching your hand in there? Son of God. For $25 or under. What would you, yeah, what would you present to the Son of God? And what would make that gift more special than any other gift? What does make a gift more special, better than another? What distinguishes the value of a gift outside of just the price? Because if you're a woman, and even though, I mean, my, I did one thing on Cyber Monday. I purchased one thing, but I'll tell you, I'm so proud of that one thing. Because it was originally priced for $100, Columbia jacket, nice little furry thing, $100. I checked it again on Cyber Monday, $89.99. Ooh, had a coupon, $69.99. Ooh, type in the Cyber 50 today. How much? $39.99 or $30. And then I remembered I've got one of those coal caches. Use that. I ran over to Brian. I'm like, $19.99. And because it originally started at $100, I don't even have to pay shipping for it. So it doesn't really matter what the price was. I'm talking about the value of it. When I give that gift, which I can't tell what family member is going to get it because they listen, but when I give it, there is a story behind it. And am I going to leave the price tag on it? You bet. Because she's going to go, oh, you didn't spend that much. No, I did not. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe that one. Oh, sh yeah. Well, I've got a few she's in my life. Carrie. Oh. But what distinguishes the value of the gift? It's not just the price paid for it. I really believe that the value of a gift comes from the story behind it. 
and I'm going to have to persuade you guys in this because girls are easy to understand this. Guys, I'm going to persuade you in this. Dr. Gary Chapman, though, he wrote a book that's called The Five Love Languages. And in it, he, he stands on the, the, the true fact, I believe, there's no other way to look at it, that there are five basic love languages that a person gives and receives love, one of them being the words of affirmation. There's quality time. There's touch. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Oh, acts of service. And then the fifth one is gifts. If you don't know yet, my love language, number one love language is gifts. I love giving gifts. I love getting gifts. But it's not just the gift. It's the story behind the gift that places the real value on it. I want to know what was the effort applied to getting me the gift, the time spent that you were thinking about the gift that you wanted to give me. What did the item cost you personally, not just the price you paid for it? And what does that item mean to you that you thought it would mean to me? I want to know the story behind it. I love it that Crystal texted me the other day and she goes, I got you something. It'll be waiting on your desk. And I'm like, I even told Brian, I think five or six times, I got a gift at the office. You know, can I just run up there and get it? It's up there waiting for me. And then when I, oh, it was this little tin. And then when I opened it, it was chocolate, which, hello. <laughs> hello. But there was this bracelet in there with this leather strips. And it had my favorite verse. No, it's not even a verse. It's a song. My favorite lyric of this song was on there. And I, like, melted. And I text her. I said, that was the perfect gift. How did you, did you even know that that's my favorite song? And it's, it is well with my soul. That's my favorite. I, I always want to call it a scripture. But it's my favorite phrase. And, she, you know, yeah, show it. I know I left it in my house. Sorry. I went to put it on. And then I'm like, but this is a gift Brian got me for my anniversary. You know, and he didn't even need me to put it in the shopping cart for him. <laughs> he got that. He picked it out. I mean, 27 years later, but he got it right, finally. It was nice. And he said, I saw those. I like that. And I'm like, he did it right this time. But, and my sister, she got me this little thing here. You know, I bought this. But she got me this, you know. So when I put those things on, I think about the person. I think about what they mean to me. I think about the story behind it. And I, you know, when I was texting Crystal, how did you, did you even know? She goes, no, I just felt God told me to do that, to get that for you. And it was perfect. So let me ask you, as much, or let me just tell you, as much as I cherish the item, it's the story behind it that really makes it special to me. The story behind it that makes it special to me. When we look at a gift, it's the story behind it. Let me, guys here, I told you I would, I would help you understand this. Hopefully, I mean, go ahead, plug into that inner feelings for just a second. Imagine I'm holding two daisies. One daisy, they look exactly the same. One daisy was plucked out of the front yard. The other daisy, as the husband will explain to the wife, 
I went across town, picked it from the park where we first met. And it was that day when I picked up that daisy and put it behind your ear that you would one day be my wife. What daisy is more valuable? They're exactly the same, right? But one will get dried, shoved in a book, pressed, and pulled out frequently because the story behind it made that one more special. Do you understand? Even in our marriage group, we learned guys want to do big things and once a year is fine enough. But they learned an illustration when we asked the guys, Guys, is it better to buy a dozen roses, long stem red roses, and bring them to your wife once a year, or give her 12 different single roses randomly throughout the year? And the guy says, 12 long stem, beautiful, cost more, yeah. And the wife says, no, I'll take one flower randomly over the year. You see, it's the story behind it that really brings the value to the item. I believe there are three measurable points to determining that value by unwrapping this story behind it. And here's three questions that you asked to unwrap the story behind it. Number one, who gave you the gift? What does that person mean to you? Number two, what is the gift? Was it necessary, needed, or desired? What is the gift? And then the third way is what will you do with the gift? Because if you don't think what the person does with the gift, that it doesn't mean anything to you, you're a liar. It does mean something to you, don't you? It, when you... If I would have opened the bracelet Brian got me, oh, that's beautiful, snap the lid shut and set it aside, what do you think he would have done? Yeah, what are you doing? Why you put that? Put that on. Put that. And he did. He helped me put it on, and then you got to slide this little thing up like this and see, because of my old arthritis and I couldn't, you know, clank it, he had to get the little draw sting, you know? Carrie, you know... We got this one so I wouldn't have to, you know, see, I just snap it. Ah, you know, what are they going to do with the gift? I had a grandma Samson, my dad's mom, that we loved as kids. I loved making things, making things and giving them it's Christmas because it, it just mean, it means more. But I watched as grandma Samson, as she started getting older, when she would receive a gift, she would unwrap it. Oh, she'd take it back to her trailer. You know, I was always with her, and I'd go with her. And she'd turn it upside down, write that person's name on it, and put it in a closet. <laughs> and I finally asked her, Grandma, what are you doing? She was, well, when I die, I want it to go back to that person. And I remember that troubled me for the longest time. And getting older, I'm thinking, she don't realize how important it is to that individual to have her enjoy that. Her only concern was to get it back to that person. There's something missing, something wrong there. Something's wrong. It, no one gives a gift to someone expecting them not to do anything with it. Right? So what are you going to do with the gift? The wise men in the story we read, 
they brought three valuable gifts. And the value was based on these three, that on, if we unwrap the story behind it. Who gave the gifts? These were the wisest of all the wise men, who not only had studied all their life about the upcoming soon-to-be king, but they were told from years and years past. This is, this is how we study. This is what we're going to watch for. This is all the little things and the events. So then when these things started coming together in their lifetime, they realized it's now. We've got to go. They didn't buy first-class tickets and take a nice flight over. You know? This was, let's put everything together on these camels and, you know, have you seen those guys ride those camels? Anyway, they went a great distance to find this, to give their gifts. Who gave the gift? The wisest of all wise men. What was the gifts that were given? Were they necessary, needed, or desired? Well, look at it. They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold was a symbol of kingship. It was always given to kings. Frankincense was a very expensive oil that was burned in worship of God. It was used in the temples to worship God. Myrrh was the spice used in ancient times as part of the embalming the dead bodies, the burial process. So when you think about all three of these gifts, these three gifts declare Jesus, the baby you're holding right now, Mary, is king, he's worthy to be worshipped, and he was born to die. So were they needed and necessary gifts? Yeah. And then the third, what did they do with the gifts? Now, the Bible doesn't explain exactly. So put on your creative hat with me for a second. Well, what do you think they did with the gold? How could they have used the gold? Well, it was right after that that the king declared, kill every baby two years and under. I'm sure they needed some money to keep running. To go where God called them to go, to get to this town, to that town. Frankincense, could you imagine raising the Son of God in your home? Wonder if that oil was just kind of like the you know fragrance of their household that they just kept it burning because we got the Son of God right here. That entire house being filled with that fragrance of worship consistently and myrrh. Oh, did Mary hold on to this and save it for that dreaded day, her son's burial? Was this the same bottle that was used? Do you think that they set it on the mantle and every day she had to look at that knowing that that one day was coming when she would have to use it? What did they do with the gifts, the value of them? So who gives the gifts? What was the gift given? And what will we do with the gifts? These are the same questions I want to focus on today as we look at the father of all gifts. Christian author Philip Yancey said, What I see in the Bible is that every gift, every good gift, comes from above. And they are good if we recognize where they came from and if we treat them the way the designer intended them to be treated. In James chapter 1, the New Living Translation, verses 16 and 18 says, Don't be misled, brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift 
Do not lean on this. Whoa. We won't touch that anymore. Focus. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Who gives? Who gives to us? And what does he mean? What does he mean to you, to me? You know, God is either God or God is your heavenly father. See, he can be just God or he can be your heavenly father. You know, do you see him as he's just up there like a cosmic power that's waiting to zap you the minute you do something wrong? Or is he your father? As a matter of fact, the Bible describes that he's your father that has adopted you and grafted you into his family. And you've become co-heirs with Christ. But you choose. You choose. Is he just God? Or is he your heavenly father? What does he mean to you? Uh, if the Lord permits, if my heart permits, I really feel burdened to do a message on adoption, the two faces of adoption, because it's the same picture. When you're adopted into a family, that child chooses. Do they just want to see you as the parent head? Or do they want to be grafted in and see you as their loving father, or their loving mother. It's their choice. It's your choice. How do you see God? What does God mean to you? Is he just God? Is he just your ticket to heaven? Is he your heavenly father? When they were, all the words that was given this morning and the word that Amy gave this morning, I really felt overburdened, and I almost shared it, but then I thought, well, maybe it's for the message, but that I really felt God's, Heart. Oh, it was when Pastor Neil was saying, I see you and you're running toward God. But he scoops you up, places you on his lap. And once you sat on his lap, you're clothed in his love. And he can't see one thing wrong with you. But you have to come to his lap. He can't scoop you up if you stay far back. He's waiting for you to run up to him. I mean, I'll tell on my Tyler here for a minute. I loved that he always would come up and say, I want to sit with you. And, you know, chairs are only so wide and mama's butt got a little wider. And But we would wedge in there and wedge in there. And I loved those times because he wanted to sit with me. You know, and at one time, we was like, I was like half-cheeking it and just so I could have him cuddled up beside me. And I asked him the other day, I'm like, how come you never sat with me anymore? He's like, well, Mom, we're kind of big. <laughs> I'm like, I'll get a bigger chair. Isaiah, my oldest boy, I mean, he used to slip in. Brian worked nights a lot. And, you know, I'd be like, Isaiah, do you want to sleep with me tonight? And he's like, yeah. And he'd cuddle with my daughter and she'd cuddle with me. And they and, and I remember, I don't know, I think he, I don't know, I'm really going to tell on him. I think he was like 16, 17. And 
just having a rough day and Brian working at night. And I asked Isaiah, I said, would you just come sleep with me tonight? He goes, yeah, but don't tell anybody and no cuddling, okay? <laughs> okay, all right. But we choose. Do you want to be that? Do you want to be cuddled? You have to come close to God. He's either God and he's there and, uh, or he's your heavenly father that wants to scoop you up. But you choose. So what does he mean to you? And what does he give? It says every good and perfect gift. And look at this for a second. It says comes down from. See, our earthly eyes, we only want to see what's here. And we say, okay, well, this gift, this one's good. As a matter of fact, though, that one's perfect. This is the one I want over here. This one's perfect. He's like, ooh, up here. Every good and perfect gift comes down, comes down to you. Which means that all the limitless resources of heaven, that's your inheritance. This stuff? Temporary. As much as I love gifts, I would rather have a limitless resource of heaven and what heaven has to offer. That's the good and perfect gift that comes down to us. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 and 11. Oh, stop touching this podium. Jason, you said you strapped this sucker on here though, right? It's not going to fall? Just checking it out. Okay. <sighs> oh, Lord, help my focus. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, that you would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Who ask him? I was just listening to a book the other day, and it was um, the comment that they made about the Christians nowadays. Uh, general statement was that we are practical atheists, which means we can just not going to touch that. That we are living practical atheists, which means we proclaim everything. God is good. He gives us everything. He loves us. He wants us all healed. But we live something different, completely different. This is saying everything is yours. God's waiting. All of heaven is waiting. It's yours. But what does he tag on there? If you ask. If you ask. God gives good gifts to all who ask. And so what should we ask for? And if you haven't heard this, <laughs> it's, this is the same drum we're going to just keep beating on over and over and over again. This is a, what Jesus modeled for us. This is a, he said, this is how you should pray. You want to know what to ask for? Ask for this. Everything. He says, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You want to know what to ask for? There it is. Everything. 
that's in heaven be here now. And if it's not here, then we don't want it. You want to know what to ask for? You want to know what comes down? Every good and perfect gift, everything that exists in heaven to be here now. That's what we need to ask for. Who gives good gifts? God, our Heavenly Father, gives good gifts. What are the good and perfect gifts? Everything, every limitless resource in heaven. To who? To all who ask. Everything that exists in heaven is our inheritance. You already have your name on the account the minute you gave your life to Jesus Christ. He added your name to his account. He gave you the debit card. Here it is. Matter of fact, pss, 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 there's the PIN number for it too. You just need to go to the ATM and ask. I would like, boom, boom, boom. What are you asking for? Anything that exists in heaven. Anything is yours. Comes down to us from our Heavenly Father. God's Father, heart of love, continues to give us every resource in heaven if, if we would only ask. And that, my friends, is the Father of all gifts. So allow me to read you a story as I get ready to close. And as we close, we're going to take communion. Um, we're also going to have prayer and altar time. But allow me to just read this story for you. And then at the close, at the ushers and Amy would come up. This story is called Glenda's Gift of Love. As the holidays approached, Glenda became more and more worried. It had been a difficult year for her family, and she hadn't been able to save enough money for gifts. It seemed that every penny went to pay the rent and put food on the table. She sank down in the faded blue easy chair beside her bed and looked out at the barren landscape beyond her window. The trees outside the apartment seemed as gray and lifeless as the buildings themselves. Only a few dead leaves dangled, dangled precariously, holding on to the last thread of life amidst this December chill. Glenda's mood was as cheerless as the landscape, and her bones were weary from cold weather and hard work. Her six-year-old Michael came bouncing into the room with the ceaseless energy of all youth, he picked a spot on his mother's lap and fell into her arms. What's the matter, Mama? He asked, looking at her with innocent brown eyes. Don't you feel good? Oh, I'm okay, Glenda assured him with a hug. I'm always better when you're around. In truth, he was both her greatest joy and her deepest sorrow now. She couldn't look into those eyes without wishing she, would, she could give him the world. And she had so little to offer. There wouldn't even be a tree this year, but somehow she would manage to make their holiday special. She'd find a way. She just had to. After dinner that night, Glenda left Michael and his sister Kimberly with the neighbors and took the bus to the mall. She was determined to find some small gift for her children. This close to the holidays, the crowded mall was flood of busyness, but Glenda felt only a lack in it all. The glitter and the noise could not touch her heart the way Michael and Kimberly could. There were the they were the precious jewels in her life. 
Glenda chose two small gifts for each of her children, but those were nothing, she thought. I want to give them so much more. Time passed quickly amid the bustling crowd, and soon she had to catch the last bus home. She was just leaving the mall when a bright sparkle of gold all alone in a store window caught her eye. She walked to the small display window and gazed into the case, where a single shining star twirled on the end of a golden string. The star had many points and captured the light from every direction. How beautiful it would look on a tree, Glenda thought. But even if she could afford the star, she had no tree to put it on. Still, she could hardly tear, her, tear herself away from the golden star that seemed to glow under the lights. As she walked out the doors of the mall, she took one look back at the display window, and the touch of golden light beckoned her once more. She turned her back and went outside, a swish of cold air hitting her face. She strode swiftly to the bus stop, trying to fend off the chill. Instinctively, she looked up into the night sky. Stars twinkled faintly in the wash of light from the street lamps. Wind blew in her eyes and made them tear up, so the twinkling stars appeared even more brilliant like the golden star in the window. Such jewels, she said, and then thought of her children. My very own jewels, Glenda whispered to herself. They are the stars in my life. As she spoke those words, Glenda realized what she had to do. That night after her children went to sleep, she created her own special presents for them. All she needed was the gold foil wrapping paper her friend Pam had given her, an old cardboard box, paper, pen, a pair of scissors, and some glue. When her children were woke on Christmas morning, Glenda greeted them with a smile. Oh no, will they understand the gifts, she wondered, at age eight and six? They might just think this is silly and worthless, but it was too late now. Michael opened his first box and found a gold star inside with a message written on it. What a pretty star, Mama. It says you are my... He sounded out the word slowly and then stumbled on the last word. Jewel, his sister offered, helping him read the unknown word. Kim opened a gift next. It too was a gold star that read, you are my shining star. They opened one small box after another to find golden stars inside each one of them. On each, their mother had written her words of love and praise. You make me so proud, said one star. You make me smile, said another. And for each child was a star that read, I will always love you. To Glenda's amazement, her children opened each box eagerly, anxious to see what special words their mother had given them. They collected the stars with delight, each making certain that he or she had as many stars as the other one. The small gifts purchased from the mall got lost in the joy over the stars of love from their mother. Glenda finally realized what she had known all along. The greatest gift she could give them was her love. They really are her prized possessions. Again in James, God calls us his prized possession. 
He gives us everything. His Father's heart of love says everything that is mine, everything in heaven is yours. All you have to do is ask because you are my prized possession. And then God, our Heavenly Father, giver of all gifts, now ask you the last question. What will you do with the gifts he's given you? And as we ponder that question, if the ushers could come forward and Amy, today is just an appropriate time, which at first of every month we take up communion, but that we ponder the gift that Jesus gave to us, which was the gift of himself. So as you ponder that question, what will you do with these gifts? I'm going to ask the ushers to just begin handing out the, the symbols of communion. And allow me to just read before we, before we take communion. Paul gives us a warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Whoa. That I want us to read together. I'll read it to you, sorry. I'll read it to you. I, I copied this out of the message version because it explains it so much clearer. You see, because communion is talking about, like I said, the gift that Jesus gave to us. He sacrificed. He gave his life for us. Said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so it's not just a thing we do every month. It's not because, man, I'm so glad they handed out that little cup of juice because I was thirsty. But Paul gives us this warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, what you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master, Jesus. And you will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let this routine cause you to lose respect for the sacrifice. He goes on in verse 27. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? So examine yourselves. Examine your motives. Test your heart and come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought or worse yet, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now are listless and sick. And others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, he warns, we won't have to be straightened out later. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. 
Before we take communion, I want us to take time to think about that question, that last question. What are you going to do with the gifts God has given you? And examine your motives. Examine your heart right now. Here's the Father's gift given to you. Eternal life. Sins forgiven. A brand new start. Living a purpose-filled life. Living out the reason you were created. That's your gift. And if you are not living in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to receive that gift now before you take communion. Because if you're not in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, communion is nothing to you. For the one who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, this piece of bread represents his body that was broken for me in my place. I should have been the one on that cross. I should be the one that has to pay the penalty for my sins. But this piece of bread is his gift to me. So if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, which means that I bow to you, God, my whole life, my every day, my every breath will be to live, to serve, to love, to do whatever you command me to do. That's setting him as Lord of your life. And all you have to do is ask. So before we go any farther, and oh, let me also say, if you're sitting here and maybe you, you say that, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, let me ask you, have you been living your life in such a way that honors this sacrifice? If something just poked at your heart, oh, not really. This is your gift today, is to make that recommitment with God. God, I'm sorry. I know you're my Lord. You're my Savior, but I haven't been treating you as Lord lately. I haven't been honoring that sacrifice. And make that recommitment. So before we go any farther and take these elements, I want to just help you in, in forming the right word. And I don't even want to say the right words because God just sees your heart. He, he knows your mind. He knows what you're. Th he knows your motives of your heart. You just need to cry out like a little baby. God, I'm sorry. God, I messed up. God, I've lived my life on my own. Lord, I just, right now, I just surrender to you. God, I lay it all at your feet. Have my whole heart. I give it all to you. I ask that you, you would wash me of all my sins, all my weaknesses, all my failures, God, and clothe me in your love and your righteousness. And give me the strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to live every day giving glory to you and honoring the sacrifice of Jesus and that what he did in my place.
Paul goes on to say, verse 23, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper, this communion time, and why it is so centrally important. He said, I received my instructions from the Master himself, and now I pass it on to you. The Master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks to the Father, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So just hold that little piece of bread and let's just pray over it. Jesus, we thank you that you gave us the gift of you. That you stood in our place and you allowed your body to be broken and bruised, whipped, beaten for us in our place. For every sickness that tries to attack us, for every weakness that tries to take us down, for every sin that tries to keep us from you. God, you've paid it all. You took it all on yourself and you nailed it to the cross on your body. We thank you for your gift of you. We remember you today, God. We remember you today, Jesus. Thank you. Let's take this bread together. Thank you. Goes on to say after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. He said, this is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. This juice in this cup. Doesn't mean much. Not even a penny's worth. But the price that was paid for is the story behind it. The value in this cup is the story behind it. And each time you lift this cup, you remember the sacrifice of the gift that was given to you, to me, which makes it unmeasurable in value and so right now we just lift this cup to you Jesus there's nothing we can do that can earn it or deserves this gift that you've given us a new covenant with you one based off from your blood Lord that as white as the snow is we can be forgiven our slates wiped clean an eternal home secure in you. Mm. God, 
God, help us to remember the gift and to use this gift that you've given us properly. That it could bring glory back to you. Eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. A new start in life. Living out the purpose for the reason why we were created. Are all ways that we, Lord, honor this sacrifice. Help us to carry your name. Holy awe, reverence. And in a way that would put a smile on your face. We honor your sacrifice, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice. We remember it today. In Jesus' name, let's drink together. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. The Father of all gifts, our Heavenly Father, and the limitless resources of heaven is yours if you ask. And so as we get ready to move into the altar time, allow me to just share Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us right now. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So can I just have you stand and I'm going to turn over the prayer time, the altar time to Pastor Neil to lead. If you came with any sickness, if you came with any burden, if you're ready to make today the commitment to give your heart to the Lord either for the first time or the 50th time, a recommitment, if you want prayer for anything, He's not going to come and overtake you. And if He wants me to have it, He knows where I live, He'll come bring it to me. He says, for all who ask, you coming to the throne, you coming to the lap of God, your heavenly Father, and asking Him that, that is where you'll receive your answer. So Pastor Neil, you've got the microphone. I'm turning it over to you. Don't leave without coming up and getting prayer.